Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to Hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Cracked Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. As we start today's podcast, let's take a little trip down memory lane. It was at the beginning of this year, the end of January, that Cracked Rackets president Dalton Thieneman approached me. He said, Alex, I think we're ready to have you go full-time here at CR. You're going to have the opportunity to do play-by-play calls for the men's and women's Division I national indoor tournaments. Of course, my first question was, can I call Chris? Can I have him come with with me because I know he'll say yes. Dalton said, of course, from there. It was a phenomenal first two weeks on the road. We were really looking forward to watching the 2020 ITA season unfold. Of course, you look at some of the storylines we were monitoring. You had the chance for North Carolina to become the first team since Stanford in 1997 to sweep both the men's and women's NCAA outdoor championships. You had you know, UCLA looking like they were finally going to get over the Stanford hump, win the Pac-12 title on the women's inside. You had Paul Jubb, Estela Perez, Somariba back in play, defending NCAA champions, maybe the chance to win two in a row. Alexis Galarno making NC State relevant, Pepperdine undefeated. So many great storylines. My Wolverines, semifinals of the national indoors. But of course, as we all know, we weren't able to see that season through to completion. COVID-19 taking away that season. And these past mate eight months in college tennis have been, you know, a perilous time for all of us college tennis fans. We've seen, you know, programs with as high, you know, like Iowa, Minnesota, with that sort of credibility. Uh, We've seen them cut due to uh, budget constraints for so many of these athletic departments. We've also, of course, we're wondering who's going to come back to college tennis. What are these teams going to look like? Are we even going to have a 2021 dual match season? Well, folks, it looks like the answer to that question is going to be yes. Finally, some great news for all of us college tennis fans. And of course, we here at Crack Rackets are so excited to have college tennis back in our lives. In fact, we are so excited that we are ready to kick off our preview of the 2021 ITA season. And of course, joining me on the podcast to do just that, as they always do when it's that college tennis time of year. Let's start with the man who you know the poem for. He, of course, is the forefather of the college tennis ranks formula predictions. Never far from the listed UTR, one of the many dames who roots for the Liberty Flames, and of course, a lover of Almond Joys. Chris Halioris, welcome back to the podcast. It is great to have you back on the show. How have you been? I've been great, Alex, and I'm glad to see you kept up to your promise and worked the Almond Joy into the intro. Oh, it was too wonderful of a fact to pass up. And I do say I went with you first, but that's because we saved the best for last here on these shows. Joining us as well, the third member of our Holy College Tennis Trinity. You know him as your favorite Crack Rackets writer. Of course, a former four-star recruit on TennisRecruiting.net, the better half of Baylor's Nick Stokowiak. It's Matt the Crack Stokowiak. Matty, welcome back to the show. How are you doing, my friend? Oh, man. You know, I'm pumped, guys. Glad to be back here with you two and talking some college tennis. You know, Chris is more of the the Almond Joy kind of guy. I'll stick with Twix (laughs) bars or Snickers. And, you know, that's why you introduced me last, because I know the type of candy that we need to be eating around here. But uh, no, man, I'm glad that we actually... uh, We've got some college tennis to talk about. The Contender Series is, has been one of my favorites, you know, that we've ever done here. So I'm really looking forward to, uh, to diving in. Absolutely. And I should say, this feels like the first time we are doing this over Skype, that the three of us have seen one another's faces since probably the 2018 NCAAs. And this is going to be a particularly fun podcast. We thought we'd spice things up to bring things back. Of course, what we'll be doing over these next 10 weeks is trying to get all of you prepared for the 2021 season. This season is going to be like anything we've seen before. Of course, we still don't know exactly what the schedules are going to look like. Are there going to be uh, national indoor events? Is there going to be a kickoff? 
off weekend. That information still up in the air, and of course, we will fill in those gaps as more information becomes available. But we wanted to spice things up. We wanted to take our coverage to the next level. So the three of us got together. We had a conference call. Was it like two weeks ago? Maybe a week ago? Who knows at this point? All of these past eight months kind of blended together. We all just agree. We've all lost hair over these past process. But, you know, we, we talked about it. What can we do to spice things up? So it's going to be a couple of things fold. And some of the announcements we're going to keep close to the chest. But one of the things we wanted to do, come up with our own Cracked Rackets ranking system. The best way to do that, we figured, have the three of us come together each week, agree upon our top 10 teams in the men's game, and then come and justify it to all of you listeners. So we're going to be doing that each and every week. Obviously, we're only going to do it once during the preseason. And so to spread it out over the course of the 10 weeks, we're going to be introducing one team a week. We're going to be previewing them here on the podcast. Matt is going to be previewing them in article form, giving you the deep dive breakdown on our website, crackrackets.com. Of course, Chris and I are going to have so many great chances to speak with the head coaches of all of our top 10 teams. And I mean all of them. I have reached out, contacted each and every one of them. It's hilarious that we're now at a point where we send those text messages where it's pretty rapid. The coaches are responding and saying, oh, I was waiting for this text. I knew it was coming. Yeah, fine. I guess I'll do it. Or at least that's what Adam Steinberg said. Um, But you know, though, that is not what Coach Steine said. But yeah, we're going to have a lot of fun getting everyone ready for this season. Again, we have some other cool things in the works as well that we're not quite ready to announce, mostly because as we know, uh, someone will steal the ideas if we say them before they're ready. So we're going to hold them a little bit closer to the chest. Uh, But obviously, we are ready to rock and roll. And I will say our first edition of the Top 10 poll in as it only could have in Crack Rackets form, we say the top 10, we're doing 11 teams. So as this opening week to get things started, it's going to be a two-team week. We are going to start out with our two teams who tied for 10th. Uh, We will get into why they tied for 10th a little bit later. But before we get into our first preview to what I talked about in the opening monologue, and I know this has been a lot of me talking, listeners, I swear once we get into the preview of our first team, I'm going to hand the reins off to Maddie and Chris. But I want to start with you, Matt, because I know you're brother obviously Nick is currently playing college tennis and you know he happened to transfer from Duke to Baylor and to do that in the midst of a pandemic with all the uncertainty in college tennis you have a firsthand experience but then also as a fan of the game you see what's happening to programs like Iowa Minnesota and of course those are the most notable but there are so many other smaller scale schools where that's where the majority of the playing opportunities come for so many of these players across the globe really in college tennis who are feeling the impact of this uh, you know pandemic how have you reacted to the last eight months in college tennis? Yeah, I mean, it's it's been tough, obviously, to see some of these programs, you know, that we've grown to watch over the years, get to know some of the players, coaches. To see that kind of get cut in the manner that it has is, has been tough, man. I mean, there's no doubt about it. You hate to see that. But I'm just, you know, I'm grateful at this point that we are, it is looking at this time that we're going to have some good college tennis to be able to watch and and enjoy. And I know it was uh, an interesting experience for my brother, Nick, you know, playing four years at Duke and then, you know, entering that transfer portal, making a decision on, all right, where do I want to go get my graduate degree and play tennis and um, stressful for sure. But, you know, now that that's kind of passed, everyone's, you know, on their new teams. We've seen a lot of transfers, obviously, with with a lot of back. So um, I think everyone's getting into the swing of things and hopefully come uh, January, we're ready to rock and roll. Yeah, and to your point, that's a big thing we learned as well. If you are a supporter of college tennis, now's the time to express yourself. These teams can't afford to have your you know support be silent in any way you can, whether it's showing up to events should there ever be crowds allowed once again, just supporting your local team in any way possible. These college programs need that. And, you know, Chris, I know you talk to a lot of these coaches as well, and even beyond the community engagement, which we've already talked about in our first two interviews with the two head coaches, we spoke with. But even beyond that, when you start to look at, you know, how do these coaches map out recruiting, given uh, what's going on in this pandemic, the extra year of eligibility, how are how is it going to affect all these schools moving forward? What has your reaction been to these past eight months? What are you hearing from these coaches? Well, I mean, obviously, when we started just the, you know, the cut, starting from the cutting of because of the pandemic, and then into the cutting of programs that happened kind of over time, you know, the, the, the news is, it's just been 
you know, bad news after bad news. And finally, we get to the point here in the fall where we actually see some tennis being played. We get through a fall season where it looks like uh, everybody's getting to play a few schools here and there uh, still on some restrictions. But for the most part, everybody got to play. And it looks like we're lining up for for a spring season. It looks like we're lining up for a kickoff draft and an ITA kickoff weekend and and a, and a national indoors. So so that all looks great. And yeah, obviously it's it's been rough for for a lot of a lot of, a lot of programs. Coaches have had to deal with things differently. As you mentioned, the recruiting's just been uh, you know turned up upside down from uh, you know on its head from the way they usually do things. That you know there's been no chance to go visit anybody. So uh, you know yeah, it's it's interesting. You get all these guys back for an extra year all the way through, not just the seniors, but all the way down the line. Guys get to play for another year but you kind of missed a year of recruiting in the middle. So, um, you know, that'll, that'll take probably, you know, three to four years to work itself out. Uh, and, and that'll be interesting to watch to see not just who came back this year and what grad transfers we had, but then, you know, how many guys take advantage of that fifth year, so to speak, from the juniors, sophomores, and freshmen that were out there last year that still managed to get kind of their four and a half years, if you will, in. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited and ready to see the season get underway with, with all hopes. Let's just say with Kyle Selig, we have our first pathway to someone playing college tennis at age 30. It's possible. It's finally in play, and that's something we are all looking forward to. Obviously, I love you, Kyle. I love the Selig parents, who I know are listeners. That's just my way of saying hello to them both and that I miss them uh, as well. But, yeah, these are all things we're going to continue to monitor again as we do this preview. Just one more quick follow-up before we get to today's team, Chris. Um, And I know you're embargoed from sharing certain things. Don't worry. I'm not going to get you in trouble, but even beyond the kickoff draft, it feels like the people I talk to, it feels like the reality of this pandemic, what we're learning, things are going to start off very regional based. Do you think that's fair to say that the opening dual match, it's going to be, even if we get a kickoff a weekend, you know, travel distance, proximity to one another, that's going to be the central feature of the schedules? Absolutely. I mean, I know for sure there are schools that have still yet to kind of give clearance uh, to them to play anything outside of conference that isn't regional based, right? There's no, you know, and I'm, I'm no specifics, but you know, you're not going to get a school from Florida that says, Hey, we're going to fly out to California and play a weekend of non-conference matches, right? That's mm-hmm. just not going to happen. So, uh, you know, you're going to have, a fair amount of travel for some teams based on, you know, based on the makeup of the conference. That's, uh, you know, a little more than regional, but outside of that, um, you're kind of looking at the, the guidelines for what they use for the NCAA tournament, uh, first rounds. And that is kind of that 400 mile. If you can get there in 400 miles and travel to it, uh, that's kind of a regional type match and you're good to go outside of that. If it's a non-conference match, it, it's a no-go for the most part. Mm-hmm. No, and it's something we will continue to monitor as well. Certainly, uh, as you look towards the rankings, if there's an NCAA tournament, again, this is so far down the line, but if you're a Big 12 team and you're just beating up on one another, you're an SEC team beating up on one another, and there starts to be some distance between the top and the bottom, whatever it may be, certainly that will impact uh, so many things about the NCAA tournament. That's also why we wanted to do our own Crack Rackets rankings this year. We thought things are going to be very subjective early on. It's going to be a lot of eye test. It's going to be, you know, do the results at certain flights match up to what you're seeing on the court, all these different things. So again, a little bit of a look behind the process. I said, Matt, Chris, give me an hour, more likely two hours of your time. We're going to vote on our Crack Rackets top 10 teams. And of course we did that. It was an elimination pool. We said we started with all the conferences and then any, you know, non-Power 5 conference. We just nominated our teams until we could whittle the list down to 10 names. And of course, we couldn't do that. We ended up having a tie for 11th. Now, I am recording this uh, podcast while wearing my Michigan Wolverine jacket. You can imagine that bias had a little bit of an impact. You will see moving forward as that is our tie for 10th. We have two teams coming up in the number 10 spot. And again, I'm not going to get ahead of ourselves. We're going to focus on these two teams this week. We had a tie for 10th in Georgia and Michigan. And because I'm stubborn, I said, nope, let's make Georgia go first and make it seem like Michigan's number 10. 
George's 11. That's not actually the case. It was a tie for 10th. And, you know, obviously, again, when we last, you know, I, I think about this twofold. When I last think about the college tennis season, I think about Chris and Westoff. You're probably going to have to violin this out, but I think about him. That's my last memory from the college tennis season. Uh, but of course, outside of that, uh, you had uh, you know a Georgia team, which is where we're starting today, and that's our first team. Actually, before we even get to that, Westoff, give me a college contender sound effect, please. All right, here we go. Our first team, number 10, tied for 10th, whatever you want to say it, the University of Georgia. And when we last saw this team, Maddie, and I want you to start things off here, this was a team that had momentum on its side. Oh, yeah. This was uh, this was a team on the rise. And I was really getting excited about this Georgia Bulldog team, unfortunately, when uh, when things got shut down. But they were really having a good year. I mean, the only blip on their schedule, uh, if we want to call it that, I think came at the kickoff weekend where they ended up dropping a really tight match to uh, to South Carolina. Um, so they weren't at indoors. You guys uh, did not have the chance to see this Georgia team up in Wisconsin. However, they were a very young team. A lot of underclassmen, you know, guys that haven't really played all that much college tennis and it seemed like they were just going to get better, right? Throughout the, the course of the whole season, you could already see some improvement from early January when they played their first couple of matches at the kickoff weekend. And then as we progress through the next couple of months in February into the beginning of March, um, and they actually, I mean, they were on like a six match winning streak to end the season. 3-0 and in the SEC. So they were off to a great start in the conference. They beat an Ohio State team at home in Georgia that was really, really good. I mean, they took them out 4-0, uh, so that was impressive. I just think that, you know, who knows, right? If, if the season had continued, we obviously don't know what would have happened, but it would have been my expectation that Georgia – would have really continued to go, you know, north in in the positive direction. And I was looking forward to seeing them. So I'm especially excited to see these guys in 2021. To your points, they were a very young team last year. You start to look at some of the names that you see returning now. We have, you know, uh, Trent Bride, I believe. What was he, a sophomore, maybe a freshman last season? I, it's hard to say because, again, if you were a sophomore last year, you're technically still a sophomore uh, this year, so things are kind of screwed up. But, you know, Blake Kreuter, Eric Revilius, Phil Henning, they were all starting to find their bearings on the court. And you mentioned that 4-0 match against Ohio State, what was so funky. I, what, what Weren't five of the singles matches in? In three sets and then like the other one was like a five and five or five and six result and so yeah it's not only that it's that they also you know lost a 4-3 match on the road to Texas where they were right there and they were certainly in the mix for top 16 maybe even top 10 seed heading into NCAAs Chris and we had the chance to speak with Manny Diaz and we asked him this uh, you know there was it was just clear in his body language that there was something about last year's team that was just refreshing to him that seemed to give him a boost and and, and and force him or not force him but you know cause him to be engaged and passionate in a way that we hadn't seen from him the prior two years did you you know you're our Pied Piper of the SEC here Chris did you feel that way about that Georgia team they were very young but it did really start to feel like they had as Maddie said turned the corner oh absolutely I mean you talk about you know you you lose from you know, coming into last year from the previous year, right? The class of Walker Duncan, Emil Reinberg, Jan Zelensky kind of move out. And those guys had been there for four years and a totally different, uh, you know, set of characters when you bring in Trent Bride and Philip Henning and then, and then Eric Gravilius and Tyler Zink. And yeah, I mean, you can't help but kind of get all enthused again. And this, the group of young kids, it's like a, a whole brand new team for, for Manny and you could definitely see he was having a lot of fun the guys were I mean from week one starting out where they were and Maddie mentioned that the loss at at ITA kickoff I was there that was at the Mississippi State Regional right I was there for that uh, and you could kind of see they hadn't hadn't gotten all the guys going and they hadn't hit their stride yet and by the end of the year I remember I had slowly moved them up and got them inside inside my top 10 rankings by the end of the year. They were really rolling at the end of the season. And it was a it was a lot of fun to watch. And 
And that top three of just Bride, Zink, and Henning in whatever order you want to play them, right? It was just became, even though probably the youngest, best top three in the nation. Mm-hmm. You mentioned those three at last year during the dual match season, Maddie. Trent Bride, 8-1 and one at the number one singles position. Philip Henning, 5-2 and two at the number two singles position. Now, Zink struggled a little bit, 3-3 three and three at the three singles position. But for a freshman, you get to bring him back. That's obviously huge news for them. But one could argue that it's not even—I mean, certainly the top names are appealing, but it's the depth of this Georgia team, right, Maddie? When you start to look at this roster this year, when you look at— the new additions that's what stands out to me what stands out to you yeah I mean I I think it's a combination of both obviously I love that top three I really do Bride Henning Zink I I know Zink was was new last year and and I I thought he was still good I mean for a young guy coming in I really liked what I saw out of Tyler Zink I think he's only going to improve so I'm very comfortable with that top three but like you mentioned Gruskin I mean, the depth, I mean, I think a guy like Blake Kreuter has really taken a step over the last couple of years. He came in and, and right, he was a good junior player, five-star recruit, but I mean, he's really elevated his game. And I think this is the kind of guy that can just, wherever you play him, four, five, six, whatever it is in that lower portion of the lineup, he's going to rack up a ton, a ton of wins. And then you bring in a guy like Billy Rowe, right, who comes in from Vanderbilt, familiar with the SEC, very experienced, has played up and down the lineup. The depth is something that I think Manny is going to really, really like um, as the season progresses. And again, the development of Eric Revelius, we've mentioned him a couple of times. They've got a lot of players up and down that lineup. So for me, they're solid at every position. Chris, you've spent a lot of time. You've seen Riffis, Vale, Andrade. You've seen Vashro, uh, Habib, and uh, Aguilar. You look at this top three, Bride, uh, Henning, and probably Zink. And maybe it's not Zink. Maybe there's a different third guy. But do they have the sort of top flight talent to you know compete with those two teams, Florida and A&M? Where do you stack this top three compared to the rest of the conference? Yeah, absolutely. I'm th- those those top three will, and you mentioned right the the other two teams that are probably in that in that top three, and they're you know Tennessee's got an argument, and, and South Carolina maybe as well, but but those top three teams in Florida, Georgia, and A and M, uh, when you look at those top three, sure, I mean Florida lost uh, Oliver Crawford, so so now you're down now you're down to Riffis, Vale, and Andrade right as the top three, very very easily a heads up competition with them. And and as you mentioned, Vashiro Habib and, and Aguilar A and M probably probably um, you would say top to bottom the probably the top the best top three. But I think George yeah these Georgia guys and and because they're young you almost always have to side with the young guys are going to get better uh, and, and improve each year and and I think they probably I think they probably will end up being the best top three uh, in the SEC. You look at it by UTR right now. Trent Bride, a .19 favorite over Riffis. Zinc, .15 underdog to Vale if he was at two. Andrade, .23 underdog. uh, Or, excuse me, Henning, .23 underdog to Andrade at three. Now, obviously, Henning probably going to line up at two. So, uh, it's now .04 for Zinc at three, .34 for Henning. But, yeah, that's pretty much a toss-up there. You look for them against Texas A&M. Again, all of the margins uh, are within that .3. Range Henning a little bit above 0.37, but I think we would all agree he's playing better than his listed 13.41 UTR. But again, you, you look at this roster from top to bottom, and even against this Texas A&M team, they're still slight, only slight underdogs when you start to look at the depth. And for A&M and for Florida in particular, which is their conference competition, Chris, those rosters are just veteran-laced. They're really experienced. And yeah, you lose Crawford for Florida, but you still bring back at least six guys with playing experience. You look at Texas A&M, they bring back everyone. And that was a team that had beaten Florida and really started to find its stride after after losing that match to Michigan at the National Indoors, top to bottom, you look at this Georgia roster. Are the, I mean, certainly they, they have a lot of talent. Do you see them singles and doubles as a top 10, top 5 team in terms of talent? Yeah, I mean, definitely they're a top 10 team. Uh, you know, the, and, and they will be a good, 
you know, they're going to win more than their fair share of, of doubles points this year, right? They bring back two ranked teams in, in doubles with, with Bride and Zink at, num- at one and Kreuter and Henning at two. Kreuter and Henning have struggled a little bit in the fall in terms of getting the, some wins on the board. But those two teams were both ranked last year. And then it's a matter of finding a three. And when you bring someone like Billy Rowe in, who's a great doubles player, and it looks like to me they'll probably put him with Eric Gravilius, I mean, that's going to be three really good doubles teams. So they're going to win a lot of doubles points. And then uh, it comes down, we know those top three are really good. To me, it comes down to what do they get out of four, five, six. And if we start to look at, hey, what do we project that lineup to look like? I think we the top three are the top three. I think we see uh, we see Kreuter and Billy Rowe in some order at four and five. And then we got a battle for six between Gravilius and Baptiste Anselmo. And, you know, Anselmo last year kind of started slow, really started coming on at the end of the year, looked like that sixth spot was going to be his. And then they bring Billy Rowe in as a transfer. And now he's back into that battle mode again. But that's a that's great to have healthy competition. If somebody gets injured, you've got a backup. But I kind of think that's what we look like. And the, And to me, the question is more, what do you get out of four through six than what are you going to get out of one through three? Yeah, and it, it's worth mentioning, we are playing a season in the midst of a global pandemic. Inevitably, someone's going to test positive on your team. And so depth, particularly week in, week out in the season, is just a necessity. We've learned that in every sport. And so I don't want to be cavalier about these players testing positive for COVID. And by the way, with that in mind, we should say, and we talked about it in the cracked interview at the top, but we are all wishing a safe and speedy recovery for Coach Manny Diaz of the Georgia Bulldogs. Of course, we learned that this past Saturday, he tested positive for COVID, has mild symptoms. I have sent him a text. It sounds like he is doing okay. But obviously, again, I know I speak for all of us college tennis fans when we're wishing him a safe and speedy recovery. Uh, Matt, same question to you. And again, you can get into your projected lineup as well. But when you look at this roster, maybe this is a me thing, but I'm just... The depth of a UNC, the depth of a Baylor, the depth, honestly, of a USC as well. And I think Ohio State is in its own category because I think J.J. Tracy's really good. I just want to see it for a second before I get into any proclamations. I don't know. I... I do think this is a team that could compete for a quarterfinals, but upside, what do you think about the depth, the total talent on this roster? Yeah, no, that's that's totally fair. I'm, I'm right there with you. And there's a reason why we had them tied for 10th, right, in our rankings. Mm-hmm. Now, these are our rankings, right? So there's a reason yeah. that we have them at this position. I, I'd say, kind of like Chris mentioned, I completely agree with Chris's assessment in terms of the lineup. It comes down to four or five. Do you put Billy Rowe at four and, and Kreuter at five? Or, or are they more comfortable with Kreuter stepping up, playing four, and you leave Billy Rowe at five? I don't know. But then I think Eric Gravelius slides in at number six, and he mentioned Anselmo at number seven. Those are really the seven guys that I would be comfortable with. I mean, after that, I agree, Gruskin. I mean, it's not like they're so deep where they go eight, nine, ten guys deep. I think they're like seven deep, um, which could be okay if they stay healthy. Um, but again, yeah, I mean, quarterfinals, This, you know, there's a reason we have them ranked where we do. Um, they may not even win the SEC. I mean, I think they're, they're competing to win the SEC. I like their team, one through seven. I really do if they stay healthy, COVID-free. Um, I think they can compete as a top 10 team in the country. Um, but we'll have to see. They're definitely not quite as deep as some of those other squads that you mentioned. There's no doubt. My my problem when I look at this team, and Chris, I saw you shaking your head, so I want to go to you next, is I and I, I don't know enough about the doubles. I will say this. You lose someone like Robbie Loeb, who was objectively one of the top 10 players in college tennis in terms of his doubles ability probably the past four years. That's going to make a difference, certainly. And I guess my problem is, and sure, when they're playing – with all due respect to these teams, a Mississippi State, sorry, Chris, had to throw the knife in while I could, but when they're playing, you know, or a Kentucky or 
Actually, that might be a little bit too low on Kentucky. But when they're playing some of these lower-tier SEC teams, and again, this is under the premise that it's regional-based, I do think their depth wins out. But when you look at this roster, Chris, does any spot jump out at you and you're like, that's a lock? Or I think they're winning this point, and then they got this point, this point, and then they just got to find two more. Like, that's my problem. When I start to do the match calculus for Georgia, I think they can compete in a lot of different flights. I think they're never going to get blown out at once, you know, at any of their positions because they are deep and it's from one to six, but there are no, I just don't see the lock in the lineup. Am I missing something? No, you're not. That's kind of why we have them at 10, right? We've talked when we talked through this in, in our kind of our preseason polls, you've got teams that are, you know, 10 deep or more like Mm -hmm. Baylor, like Wake Forest, right? That just have like guys coming out the wazoo. They've got, you know, 13 plus UTRs at 10 and 12 or something like that. And here, Georgia's fighting at six to get that. That's that's the difference. And there is no lock. And, you know, you know, my my philosophy, right? And my philosophy is always how good's your six. That's a good measure of how good that team is. And when I say how good's their six, their six is good, but it's not Baylor good. It's not Wake Forest good yet, right? Or, or it hasn't shown that to be the case yet. So, so I don't. We we don't quite have them up there with those teams. And yeah, there there are no locks. We've said they're top three. Once you get past the really really top teams, sure, I'll probably say three's a lock for Georgia against almost anybody, but maybe Florida A and M in the SEC, right? I mean, they're going to win that match whichever guy they throw at three every time. But one, one, two are going to be, they're going to be battles with every one of them. And four, five, six, there's no locks there either. I think, honestly, I think their best shot, if they turn up like they did last year, is the doubles point. If they bring back two top, top 20 type doubles teams and then throw Billy Rowe in there at three, it's kind of like what they got to do with Robert Loeb last year. You mentioned Robert Loeb. They played Robert Loeb at three doubles last year because they could, right, and and threw him in there. And he was obviously – he and Jan Zielinski were, you know, a number one doubles team at one point when, or in their, in their career. So you bring Billy Rowe in to do the same thing, you've got a extremely good chance of winning two out of those three doubles matches every week. I think that's their closest thing to a lock if you say, hey, we throw you up against any team in the NCAA – their best shot to be a lock at a position is probably doubles. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Mm-hmm. And sorry to leave you out of this, Matt. I'll, I'll go to you right back, but I just want to follow up with Chris because and this is a funky one. Last season, I was able to ask, give me the summer results, give me the fall results, and it was a little bit more straightforward than right now, so I apologize for putting you on the spot, Chris, but a player who I circle, and I know he's been playing a little bit of futures, I believe, of late, is Tyler Zink at the number three singles position, who was one of the top recruits in the nation last year, was a, a maybe number one, number two on tennis recruiting, and you look at the season he put together, he was nine and four overall five and three in dual matches of course you're asking a freshman to play the two and three singles positions five and three through eight matches that is nothing to be ashamed of and certainly there in the big matches he's you know competing he's never going to get blown off the court but I think you got the chance to see more of Zinc than I did last season Chris just curious what are your thoughts on his game if he's someone, if he jumps, if he makes that big freshman to sophomore jump, which we have seen so many of the good college tennis players end up doing, now you've got a top three where it gets a little bit scary, right? I feel like he is such a critical player to their upside in 2021. Yeah, I think he is. When you talk about their top three, I think he's the key. And you kind of mentioned early, I mean, you mentioned early on that you thought, well, they've been playing this, but Henning's probably there too. I actually think that they will start the season, and we'll see. This will be interesting to see, but I think they will start the season with Bride 1, Zinc 2, and Henning at 3. Because I think we're look, Henning has been, he or Zinc has been playing well. Like you mentioned, he's been playing Futures. He just had a nice tournament back here in Fayetteville for, you know, getting to see some action in the U.S. for the first time. He's been playing well. He's played well in the fall. Uh, Henning's not, you know, 
hasn't knocked the light. He hasn't been knocking the lights out. I think we're going to see Zink make kind of make that jump and maybe start the year in there at two. Uh, and if nothing more, in addition that I think Henning is so solid off the ground that he's going to be, he's more of a lock at three uh, to me that you almost lock a point up. If you want to say, Hey, let's get a lock and then take our, take a chance somewhere, take your chance with Zink at two. He can win some matches there and try to get the point out of Henning three. But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what Manny does. I think that's what we'll see in the start. But, but to your, to your assessment, I think it's, it's on point. The, they need a big jump out of Tyler Zink, uh, come this year. If they want that top three to truly be the top three, that's going to carry them uh, to battle for both the sec and then ultimately NCAA titles, like they want to try to battle for. Yeah, Chris, I think your assessment of my assessment is on point as well. So thank you as always. It's good to hear. <laughs> I, I, I missed what, what you. Is, as what well. is this? The, somehow COVID brought me into a green. Yeah. You know what it is? It's because we spend time together now, and it just happens. It's like it's group think. It's a real thing. It's true. Um, but no, Maddie, I, you were shaking your head as Chris was going through that. You disagree. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm not worried about Zink at all. I, I really like Zink. I think he's got a good all-around game. But I, I have to say, guys, and maybe I'm just way off based, but I think Zink's playing three. I, I, if Phil Henning is healthy, I mean, he's, is he healthy? Right? I mean, he is, as far as we know. Um, I'm putting him. I'm putting him top two. I just, if it was me, if I'm Manny, I would have a hard time. As much as you want to put Henning at three because he's a lock, yeah, I agree. But I think Tyler Zink is going to be fine at number three. Take your shot with Henning at two. I, I just, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. That's just me, and I could be way off base. I mean, come you know a few months from now, you guys could, uh, could be totally right. But that's just how I see it personally. But, I mean, either way, all three guys are very, very solid players. Um, you know, I just – I see Zink as that guy, you know, younger – um, I just like him in that number three slot. That's just where I have him slotted in, and I'd feel pretty damn good about it. Yeah, look, you look at the false stats, Henning 2-3, and three, Zink 1-2 and two overall. That's not a ton of matches, and, you know, Bride 4-1. and one. He's clearly going to start out the year and probably play the entire season at number one. But for Henning, you look at the losses. Lost to Daniel Rodriguez 0-1 from South Carolina at the beginning of October. Now, again, some of these you can probably write off, but he lost to Vachero 6-2. He lost to Andrade 0-2. That's not the most confidence-inspiring uh, fall, but, you know, for Zink, you look at what he does, and again, take it with a grain of salt, this is one uh, thing of match, but three-set loss to Diallo of Kentucky, three-set loss to Walton, and then he beat Connor Thompson, who's going to play, what, three uh, for South Carolina, two and uh, two and four. It's, it's going to be interesting because Henning was really, really good last year. He earned himself that number two singles position. He's probably earned the right to start there as well. I hate to do this to you again, Matty. I think I have to agree with Chris. I do think Zink just has the higher upside. And how many times do we see that where the younger player starts out a little bit lower and then slowly works his way up the lineup? It happened with Fenty for Michigan. You know, he wasn't playing one singles, but everyone knew he should be playing one over Seymour based on talent. It was just a matter of could he get there, and he ended up doing it. I think Zink's really, really good, and I think Henning at three could become a lock. I agree with Chris's point as well. I know we, we talked about you, Chris, so any any follow-ups? Well, I was going to say, the, the one you left out, because it really wasn't an ITA match, it was a futures match. He In, in Fayetteville, he beat Kyle Seeling, too. Mm-hmm. Right? So, I mean, I think, and I, again, right, we're nitpicking here, and we're going off fall results, and, and Zink's had the fall... And I think, and Henning probably hasn't just played as much, but you know, Zinks had the opportunity and, and took advantage of some of that opportunity. But yeah, it's a it's a toss up. They could go either way. I, I still feel like in my gut that Bride's a lock to be playing one, and then they could play Zink and Henning in a, any order they want. And you know, as we've seen, you know, when we get into the SEC schedule, that could be a week by week thing, right? They could swap them based on who they're playing and and matchup style. 
Yeah, here's a preview for the SEC season. Gravilius versus Schachter this fall. 6'7", 6'4", 6'3", he won. Gravilius versus Lucas Greif this fall. 6'2", 6'7", 6'7", he lost. So a lot of these matches are going to be decided on the margins, right? It really is a toss-up. And, you know, we, we've sort of projected the lineup, I think, enough. We we haven't given really specific, you know, I, I think we let, let's just quickly go through the specifics one more time. I think we agree it's going to be, uh, you know, Trent Bride playing at one, probably Henning two, then Zing three to start off. Do you go, and I'm going to start with you, Matt, do you go Gravilius? Then do you go, uh, you know, what does your, Gravi- oh, sorry, not Gravilius. Uh, do you go Kreuter, Gravilius, Rowe from there? What's your lineup look like? Yeah, see, this this is the hard part, and, and this is going to come down to just what the coaches feel like they want to do. Yeah. Four and five, to me, is going to be Kreuter and Rowe in some order. I don't know, like, do they go with the veteran, the guy that's played in the SEC? He's played up and down the lineup. Did, would they feel more comfortable with Billy Rowe at four? I don't know, because Blake Croyder's made a big jump, and I think he's improved a lot. I mean, and he could win if you would put him at four. So I just don't know that dynamic, what the coaches are going to be thinking in that situation, but it's going to be Croyder Rowe or Roe Kreuter at four and five, and then six, I'd put Gravelius there. Mm-hmm. When we talked to Manny, Chris, he kept things pretty close to the vest, but same deal. Give me your singles lineup. And then as well, again, looking through the fall results, knowing what we know from last year, quick projection of doubles too. Yeah, well, I think in, in doubles, I think you see Bride Zink at, at one, Kreuter Henning at two, and then probably Billy Rowe and Eric Gravelius at three. Uh, I think in the singles lineup, obviously, we talked about the top three. I be- I believe that you probably go, for a couple reasons, Kreuter four, row five. I'm with Maddie. It's I think it's those two at four, five in some order. I think you've got more upside in Kreuter uh, and and a better shot probably to win matches at four. He, I mean, he had a great win over Saku Bangura, right, from the ex-Florida player here over the fall uh, has played some, he's really played some great matches. I think Kreuter probably starts at four, Billy Rowe five, and I think we see Gravilius at six to start, and Anselmo still trying to battle, but I think Gravilius ends up starting in that six spot. Yeah, the key takeaway from this lineup discussion, the bottom of the singles lineup is what to watch if you're a Georgia fan. And you know Coach Diaz, Coach Hunt, they're going to experiment. They're going to try different guys in different locations. And hopefully they have enough matches to play through any early losses because, again, we've talked about it so often. This is still a really, really young team. More of these players underclassmen than upperclassmen. And so more than anything, this, and we talked to Coach Diaz, is still a building block season despite the expectations they have with this sort of collected talent you know sneak peek for you listeners this is the team we have ranked third of all of our sec teams in the top 10 slash top 11 whatever we want to call it is that where you expect them to finish up in the sec maddie (sighs) yeah i mean if you were to ask me today i would probably say that they're going to finish third but their goal their goal should be to win the conference I mean, they should not want to settle for anything less because I think they can compete. I just don't think they'll win the SEC. But they certainly have a shot. I mean, if they get it rolling and they start playing well, it wouldn't shock me. Um, There's just a couple of other teams, you know, that we'll preview, you know, in the coming weeks that I think may just be a a, a, just a hair above these guys. But, yeah, um, I'd probably put them at third in the conference. Um, but that could easily be second and maybe even first, you know, if they really, really got it rolling. But I'll, I'll put them at third right now is where I have them. I'm giving you a sneak preview, Cracked Rackets fans. When we do the Florida pod and we have them ranked a little bit higher, it's going to be three hours. I'm ready to do the oral history of these past two years. How this Florida team I mean, and 2020 was out of their control because, yes, they lost quarterfinals to UNC. And to be honest, how, with how good UNC and USC looked, Florida was not one of the top contenders for the national championship. It was those two, if Baylor got Brooks to be back, then everyone else. And look, that Florida team without Crawford, that is the stalwart. That was the beating heart of their lineup. And yet you look at it, they have so much talent. And we'll get to that conversation eventually. But yeah, you listed the teams. A&M, Florida, the two standouts are going to be competing at the top of the SEC with Georgia. Right 
Chris, you're our SEC expert here. Is that about the tiers? It's kind of those three drop off everyone else. Where do you see this Georgia team in the SEC rankings? Yeah, I mean, I don't see how you put them anywhere preseason but third, right? I mean, you got to you got to show it to 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 deserve that spot. And and honestly, you look at what they did in the fall. They they played you know these sort of round robin tournaments, if you will, where you're effectively shadow played. duel. Is it yeah. a shadow duel? Is they're shadow the duel back? Duel. They're kind the of hidden like duel hidden is duels, back. right? But they're not even hidden duels, right? In the hidden duels, you. You play like doubles one day and singles another, so it's not really a match. But hell, here they just played it all the same day. It just didn't count. <laughs> uh, you just played more than six guys in singles. You played what you had. If you had eight and they had eight, you played eight. But but they played A&M, right? They went two and six in singles against A&M. Granted, no Tyler Zink, but still, they played Florida. They went two and six against singles in Florida. They played Tennessee. They went two and six in singles against Tennessee. Now, okay, is that what I expect to see in the regular season? No, but if that's what you're doing in the preseason, you haven't shown me that you're going to beat those guys in the regular season yet. And to your point, is it those three? Yeah, it's those three. But do Tennessee and or South Carolina get to say, hey, we've got a fight in here, probably Tennessee more than anybody because they showed that, you know, they were able to beat everybody except for Bryden Henning when they played uh, in, in the singles matches. So, yeah, I think until they can show that, uh, they have to be in the three spot. Obviously, Florida and A&M up above them, uh, and, and they're solidly in, in the third spot in the SEC. But I have them so close that anything could flip you know, could flip that, that script. And, and any one of those three teams in in my mind could really, could really win the SEC. Yeah. And that is going to be such a battle. And we really don't know, uh, again, it's projecting to say the least to say, what is the NCAA format going to look like? Are the sweet 16, is it still going to be an away match? Are they going to just end up doing it at one site at that point? Are they going to try and do it regionally where there's a West coast, East coast thing? Uh, it's really difficult to project, but it's easy to say, as is always the case, you win the SEC, you put yourself in a really good position to be a top five seed, not a top 10 seed, a top five seed. And I think we agree for now, those are the three teams to beat. Let's broaden the conversation, though. Nationally, Maddie, obviously we have this team top 10 to start the year, but what do you see their upside? Give me the everything breaks right scenario. I just think the best, if these guys could find a way into the quarterfinals, top eight, that would be a really, really good year, and and they should be happy with that heading in the right direction, a top eight finish at NCAAs. I mean, that's a great result. It's a young squad. They're still on the rise. To me, if they were to reach that final eight, that shows, okay, Georgia tennis is back on track, right? They're going in the right direction. They've gotten past, you know, all of the issues, I guess, that happened a couple of years ago. That's a conversation for a different day. But, you know, they've <laughs> they've turned the page and now they're they're looking forward. And I think if this squad reached the final eight, that'd be fantastic. I just right now, there's no way they're a final four team to to me. I just I don't see how that could happen even if they maxed out, right? I mean if these guys played as well as they possibly could I still don't see a way where they're making that final four. So realistically, top eight is what I would say. And if they finish there, great job. Great job. (laughs) Same question to you, Chris. I I mean, I I think in general, I kind of agree with Maddie. It's going to be really tough for them uh, to go. I, I fully expect that they're, they are absolutely a quarterfinal contender to get to that top eight, to win that match, whoever it is that they would play is going to be against one of the top four is going to be really tough. I think it's going to be a tough out for them. Uh, Particularly, I think they just, they're, they just need a little more depth in that four five, or a little more strength, if you will, not really depth, but a little more strength in that four through six spot to compete with the teams that we've got in those top four that I just don't see how they win matches at four, five, six against those teams, at least enough now, you know, that almost puts them to where you've got to win doubles, one, two, three, but, or doubles and two of the top three. And then one after that, is it possible? Absolutely. I, I mean, 
I would not say by any stretch that there's no way they make semis. They could do it, but would I would I would I say that's you know a real likely scenario right now? Probably not. I'm with Maddie. I think quarterfinals is you know that that's a good spot for them. It's going to be a little tougher to get better than that. Yeah, I I agree with both of you, and I think this is something we have really tried to focus on throughout this. This is year one. This is not the year where everything needs to go right. This is not the year where the pressure is on these guys. This is the year where they get to prove just how talented they are, right? And that's always, you talk to all of these players, that's the most fun time to be on a college team when you're still unproven, but it's clear you guys have something special going on. And I think that's something the three of us have tried to harp on. It's that the talent is there. Clearly, one through six, one through seven, this is a team that is not going to get blown out if they're playing a UNC or they're playing, one. you know, I keep spoiling alert, but guess what? When you get back an eight-time All-American and he has the chance to become the only 10-time All-American probably ever in college tennis history, uh, yeah, you become the number one prohibitive team. I think we can all say pretty clearly, spoiler alert, North Carolina number one. And what's so impressive about this Georgia team is you just look at that matchup and you're not like, all right, they're going to lose 4-0 and it's going to be really quick. They have the pieces to compete to uh, make this, again, a a really nice building block year for a young uh, Coach Diaz squad. With that in mind, it's the last thing we always do here on these podcasts. It's time for some predictions. Let's start with you, Manny. And again, you go into even more depth on this Georgia team in the Cracked Rackets article you wrote. Everyone should go check that out. Give me your final predictions for this team. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm going to stick... I mean, it's just so hard right now what we're we're going off of. I mean, if they continue to ascend, you know, the way the, the track that they were on last season, um, I think they're going to finish top eight. I, I do. I think they can reach that quarterfinal stage. And, and that, to me, is going to be a good season. I mean, I will be happy with Georgia if they make that quarterfinal round because – there's going to be a lot of other competition. I mean, it's not a given that they're just going to waltz in there. There's a lot of other teams that are going to be playing. So um, right now, I'm going to put them top eight, quarterfinal finish. Mm-hmm. I like that. Chris, let me hear from you. What do you got? Yeah, I think I'm with Maddie. I think it's I think it's a quarterfinal finish. I think they during the year, they're going to have a great opportunity this year from a ranking perspective to be well up in the top 10 just because as we all know, you know, that formula for the ranking is solely based on the ranking of the teams that you play. And this year it's, I believe really likely that we could see five sec teams in the top 15 because who this year looks really, really good as well. That could also be there. And if you manage to whoever you are in the sec, if you win, say, three of the four matches against those other five teams, you know, the five teams we've talked about, you win three or four against the other guys, post that suit so that you have a regional round. And I think that George, because of the strength of the SEC, Georgia has an excellent shot for this. And so I see them being a good, a very good shot at being a quarterfinal team. Yeah, I agree with both of you now. I still have them looking on the outside of that, you know, quarterfinal range and some of that has to do with how fondly I feel about some of these other teams I also don't think this team wins the SEC this season I think it it's gonna be A&M or Florida I think again we'll get to those two teams when we get to them I just feel very confidently in the continuity of those rosters I I just think there are a lot of loaded teams, and that's you know sort of where we can end things, right? You look at this season, and it's just such a different year in terms of the composition of some of these rosters. I mean, the North Carolina roster is a joke. Like, it's an absolute joke. You get Blumberg back, you get Seguin back, you get Rinky back, you get everyone back. You know, USC we don't have as the number one team in the country, despite the fact that they won the national indoors last year, pretty much without Brandon Holt. And that's all they lost, is no Brandon Holt. They bring back everyone else. We saw what they could do last year. There's no reason to think they can't do that this year. Of course, Baylor, even if they don't get Jensen Brooksby back, and all signs seem to point to the fact that they aren't. And again, that's a subject we'll explore on a later date. You just, the threshold of what it's going to take to be a quarterfinalist team this year at the NCAAs is just higher 
than it has been in years past, right? There have been some stinky teams who, who have made the semi. That Cal team, right? When What was that, 2016? That that Cal team that had Gorenson at the top, and I don't remember who else was at the top with him. I'm missing one name there. Um, who was the other one? It was Gorenson and someone. It was Gorenson and Bergevi. Bergevi maybe played three. Philip Bergevi. Uh, oh, yeah. Flo- Ber- or Florian Lacotte. And then Lacotte yeah. transferred from Mississippi State yeah. that year as well. Yeah, that 2016 Cal team. God, it's good to be back with you both. I'm glad you could just fill in that gap. I didn't even have you like you weren't even blinking. I'm pretty sure Chris is now moving on to his stocks in Asia, and he's just like, I'm done with this conversation. And he's still like, Yeah, don't worry, I know who the 2016 Cal team is, Alex. I uh, could just do that off the top of his head. But yeah, I just think you know that team would not make the semifinals this year. The threshold is going to have to be, you're going to have to be really, really good. You're going to have to be battle-tested. You're going to have some deuce points go against you on that day, and you're going to have to be able to persevere, and the doubles point is going to be critical. The This Georgia team has that part of the equation. I just don't know, man. I think they're outside. If they make the quarterfinals, I will not be surprised. I think they end up in that sweet 16 range. And then I think hopefully when you look up towards 2022, you're going to start thinking, okay, now this team can really win some stuff. Interesting. So you've got them outside of – you do not have them finishing top eight. Just outside the top eight. I think they finish – I think they finish – I mean, again, but – this gets to the fact that you guys don't like Michigan as much as I do. Like, right. how can you? Oh, never. We don't have to do this now. We don't have to do this now. I know. I know. It always comes back there. It always comes back there. But it's a limited sample size, and you do have to like that this team has all six uh, starters back, and it has new op or not all six, excuse me, but it has Billy Rowe to replace Robbie Loeb, and they just have a lot of options. And it's hard not to be excited about this school. Uh, but overall, yeah, I mean, I'll go to you first, Matt. Any final thoughts on this Georgia team? They're going to be fun, man. I, I This was one of the teams that I was really looking forward to watching throughout the rest of, of last season if we had continued. I mean, they were on the rise. There's no question. Um, and I just – I hope, you know, that that continues because I think a question is, does everything halting, right, and, and just shutting down, does that stop their momentum? And are they going to be able to pick up where they left off? I don't know. That's the big question. If they can – and they can continue to rise like that, this is going to be a a really fun team. So I hope that's what we get. I agree with you, Chris. I'll give you the final word on Georgia. Yeah, I mean, I I can't argue with you because obviously we got them, you know, ranked 10th in in our consensus. And and I don't think actually that any of us actually had them inside the top eight when we kind of, you know, we kind of averaged our rankings, if you will, with all three of us. I don't think any of the three of us had them inside the top eight. So it's hard to say for sure they're going to make the quarterfinals when none of us had them in the top eight. Uh, So I can't argue with that. But I do think that uh, because of with the youth that they've got, the young guys that hope they will get better. And and it's a very good shot. They are definitely, because of the young guys, one of the most fun teams uh, to watch and a lot of you know, more unknown than we've got with some of the other teams. You know, it's not like these teams that we see bringing back the fifth-year guys and whatnot. It's, it's just a lot of young guys that nobody's really seen a ton of. So it's going to be a, a little more interesting and fun to watch that. Uh, you know, that obviously we know how good North Carolina is and those guys they're bringing back. These guys we haven't seen as much of. So it's going to be a little more fun to watch them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And again, as we talked about with Coach Diaz, you can see the enthusiasm he and Coach Hunt have for this team. There's obviously a reason for that. They've seen some outstanding tennis come through Georgia. They know when it's time to be excited, and they both are. And so uh, as a college tennis community, we should all be excited for the University of Georgia men's tennis team tied for 10th in our Crack Rackets preseason rankings. Well, then before we go, let's let our viewers quickly, because we've alluded to it, inside the room again to that rank. It was, again, I, I didn't get, give you guys a chance to air your grievances. Let's start with Matt, who was just the compromiser in the room. Again, Chris and I are going back and forth. He's like, you have Michigan too high. I'm like, how much did Brett Macy play you to put USC there? You know, it started to get really, really personal. Um, but then Matty comes in, of course, and he's like, no, 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 guys. Uh, you know, here's some sanity to the process. Uh, again, when you look at the top 10, just overall your feelings, what were your takeaways from what we came up with? Just a little sneak peek for our listeners. 
Yeah, no, I, I love it. I mean, I think we came up with a, a really, really good list. And, and we all, I mean, for the most part, we had the right teams, right? It, it wasn't a matter of, you know, we were way off base with the teams that we selected. I think what was more interesting was just the order. I think, you know, I had a couple teams ranked a little bit higher that I was I was high on. And Chris, you know, had some teams that were up there that he was super high on. And obviously, Michigan, for you, you're always biased. Um, so that was that, that was a given and and you know we'll we'll get to that a different day but no I mean we've got so many good teams to talk about I think every single one of these episodes that we do is just going to be so much fun um, because all 10 teams or all 11 teams that we came up with um, have some serious talent and are going to be fun to watch yeah sneak preview for our listeners on the cracked interviews chris can attest to this manny during it he goes i know you bleed maize and blue alex and i was like it's true it's true i was like i'll take the charge that's fair even these coaches start to know it now maddie i guess i make it that obvious but chris uh again looking back at the rankings and it was nice to have the mathematician in you help us organize it all it sort of came out to tears right and i don't mind giving away the the uh unc name and they're in kind of a tier by themselves right now but it kind of went them then four teams than the other what six we have on our list that there's kind of three tiers of contenders is what I'm getting at this year right yeah that's kind of, that is kind of the way it broke out and I think uh you know um f- first I'll do respect I'm sure you know Billy Griffith JT Nishimura are upset that you couldn't remember they were on that Cal roster but <laughs> JT two-handed that- forehand uh, yeah, JT, two hands from both sides. I mean, how could you not yeah. like that? That's uh, my bad. And and the hair. I mean, come on. <laughs> but but uh, yeah. So but uh, yeah, I think uh, you know you were asking kind of the the question, the, the interesting part of you know the the us in the room as if we were like the draft committee going through and debating our rankings. <laughs> right. It was it was really fun. Uh, with a couple teams that it'll be interesting for the listeners to see where we wound up. Right. There was some some really good spirited discussion around teams like USC who lost Brandon Holt teams like wake forest who have a million guys on the roster that are really, really good. Uh, you know, so some of those got really, got really interesting, but yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. And then oh, we can't forget the whole, you know, the Baylor, do we count Brooksby? Do we not count Brooksby? Right? <laughs> I mean, you know, it's uh yeah, that, it was a lot of fun figuring out wh- how we were how we were going to get there, and you know, obviously, in the end, we we each laid our three rankings out there, and we just kind of let it let it fall where it may, and that's that's where we ended up. But yeah, you know, we'll we'll all get our our shot at the end of the year to go see. I told you they were better than that, or not. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, uh, I will say yeah. this: I have I have all of our rankings uh, saved in my notes, and so yes, if you don't think we are going to revisit that at the end of the year, you are crazy. <laughs> I will say this: uh, I will say this though. You look at our three rankings. I will reveal in our number eleven spots. I had Georgia. You both had Michigan. Of course I went out in the end. That's just how it works. Welcome back, brothers. I missed you both. I hope you missed me as well. But of course, with that in mind, again, that is our first of our preview series, getting you all ready for our college contenders here in 2021. A quick quick reminder, we are going to be doing one a week. It's going to be every Tuesday. You're going to get to be able to hear Matt, Chris, and I give our thoughts on the teams. You're going to be able to hear Chris and I speak with the head coaches for each of these teams. And then, of course, you're going to get to read Matty's full thoughts, his full breakdown uninterrupted by the stupidity, the immaturity of me and Chris on our website, CrackedRackets.com. Of course, we will keep you all up to date on all the biggest storylines as well. We've got some other really cool content. We're going to not only be ranking teams, we're going to be ranking our top 10 players throughout the year as well, particularly early in the season. And by the way, what we learned, as Chris mentioned, uh, this is not easy to do. You sit down and you're like, should they be eight? Should they be nine? And then, you know, Chris makes the case for why they should be five. And you're like, oh, wait, that was a really good case. You're like, maybe they should be five now, and it throws just everything into flux. But we're not just going to be doing it with the teams. We want to do it with both the singles and doubles players as well because we have takes, and we like to share them. And we can do that here at Cracked Rackets. It makes the college tennis season that 
that much more fun. Of course, the reason we are able to do that on this podcast because of the support we get from our friends at DraftKings. Now, of course, you should not be using DraftKings on college tennis, but there is still a little bit of pro tennis left in this 2020 season. To take advantage of all of that, just go to DraftKings, go to dkng.co slash cracked open to take advantage of our limited time offer. If you are listening to this, uh, Chris or anyone in Chris's family, Chris is listening. Is he listening at this point? Tough to tell, but you know, to anyone in Chris's family, I apologize for getting him addicted to gambling on tennis. Um, thankfully, he wins for now, so we have that going, and it's because he only bets on Nuno, and like that's a really good philosophy as a better. If you're just going to bet on Nuno in the futures, you're going to make some money, uh, but obviously for anyone who wants to get out there, be sure to go to dkng.co slash cracked open. Of course, shout out as well to our super producers, Max Fliegner and Daniel Westoff for the f- of an ending job they do day in, day out, making all this content possible. Chris, I feel like because I took a shot at you, I have to give you the last word. First of all, the last word, was that really the first bleep of the entire podcast right there? I know. We're well behaved. Well, no, no, no. Second beep because I talked about you showing me your nuts on the balcony. Oh, okay, okay. Number two. All right, all right. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I couldn't be more excited for this season. I mean, God, please let us have uh, a college tennis season. This fall's been great. Everybody's winded down. We're looking forward to getting started up in January. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, I could be, couldn't be more excited and ready to go. And, uh, and ready to see, as usual, all my Mississippi State guys at Thanksgiving. Oh, I'm glad to hear that that is going on as well. Well, as always, I lied. Save the best for last. Maddie. You know, just make sure everybody's safe, Chris. All right? I mean, that's, that's the most important thing right now. Um, we do. We want to make sure we have our season. But, no, this is always fun, boys. Um, I enjoy it a lot. I know our listeners do as well so um I, I just I'm, I'm hoping for a great season and I'm, I'm gonna stay positive I mean I think it's all gonna work out I really do I'm looking forward to it and um we'll see how this thing shakes out all right trivia question for you Maddie last thing we'll do on a recent interview we did the listener copes to me and he says you know Alex I actually listened to your podcast with Chris Woodruff and I really like the way you guys asked about this name the interview guest who said that oh Made the whole podcast worthwhile. This is just my thank you gift to Chris. Hallioris. Not Woodruff. Although thank you, Woodruff, as well. Oh, so it wasn't Woodruff. It was not, no, Woodruff was the one who we were interviewing. It was a different guest who said, Hey, I listened to your Woodruff pod. Oh man. Just I'm give gonna it give away. it away. Here's the answer. It was James Blake. James freaking Blake was like, Yeah, I listened to your Chris Woodruff pod. I was like, What? I was like, you were. You could have told me. I would have worn a tie. Like, I don't know. I could have done something different, I'm sure. Uh, but, yeah, it was just uh, some James fun. Blake. So, again, to Love any James of you. Love James Blake. What a yeah. legend, man. I Absolutely. Oh, man. I, that brings back some memories of James Blake. I got the chance to watch him play um, in person quite a few times way back in the day. I was so young, but uh, he was so exciting to watch. Shout out to James Blake, man. Mm-hmm. Always shout out to James Blake. Well, with that in mind, again, if you want to hear from Coach Manny Diaz about the 2021 Georgia Bulldogs, go check out the Cracked Interviews podcast. Go read Maddie's article on our website, crackrackets.com. And of course, be on the lookout for more of these College Contenders episodes as we prepare for the 2021 offseason. Now, for now, you're going to be hearing this on the Great Shot podcast feed. So with that in mind, for my wonderful co-hosts, Matt Stokowiak and Chris Hallioris, our super producers, Max Fliegner and Daniel West off our friends at DraftKings and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Maddie, Chris, what do we tell the listeners? Hey, hey, great, great shot. shot. Oh, we're back. It is great to hear you both, and we will talk to all of you listeners soon. Take care, everyone. Yeah.